We're in the series that I've called Untangled, and uh, Paul is dealing with all kinds of issues that the church needs to know about. And you remember last week, we started in on this topic of what we do in Christian worship together, what we do in our gathering times together, and that matters to Paul, and it mattered to the Corinthian church of what they did. Last week, we talked about the differences between men and women. And of course, I said men, men and women have equal value and equal dignity before God, they, they just have some different functions that they do. But together, we make this pair that is reflecting the glory of God. It's very countercultural today because the culture wants to say that men and women are basically interchangeable. And the scriptures say, no, they are meant to be a complementary pair. And that's what I talked about last week. Today, we're going to talk about communion. And the next week, we're going to start in several weeks to talk about spiritual gifts. So open your Bibles tonight. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'm starting in verse 17. This is what Paul says to the Corinthian church about exercising communion. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Whoa, scathing rebuke here. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you and I believe in part, for there must be factions among you in order that these who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let each person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. For when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come." passage tonight is all about communion, or what we also call the Lord's Supper. Today we're going to learn about communion, and we're going to receive communion together in just a few minutes. So what we learn is going to be directly applicable later on this evening. You remember that in uh, previous months, over a year ago now, we used to take communion where we would pass the trays. You know, real grape juice that we just poured that, that morning and, and, and the bread maybe that we would pass around or the small wafer that we would pass around. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to this, but I still like the, the kind of the real thing as it were, and I can't wait for that. But there are some downsides to that. 
Jason, an online blogger, said that when he was a teenager, he once went and the tray was passed by him, and what he noticed inside of his juice was a floating hair. And he says, as a teenager, I was kind of in this moral conundrum, drink or don't drink. And he says, you know, I was just stuck. And he said, you know, I know all about the symbolic body and blood of Christ. I signed up for that but I'm not sure quite what to do with the hair that's floating there. And so, you know, again, he had that conundrum. He didn't say how he solved it, whether he did or didn't drink. But there's a downside, perhaps, to coming back to the real thing because there are things that happen that you don't quite know about at times. And so, again, we need to be careful maybe what we wish for. In today's passage, Paul says that there is a big problem in the Corinthian church. It surrounds the way that they're celebrating communion. And we just read it. Paul said... It's not for better that you're doing this. It's actually for worse. And he actually says, in the NIV translation, it says it this way. I kind of like it. He says, when you come together, you're causing more harm than good. So what is it that they were doing that could be causing more harm than good when they come together for communion? Well, that's what Paul's going to explain, and that's why this stiff rebuke comes. In order to get what they're doing and where they were erring, I think we need to understand a little bit about the first century. Churches met predominantly in homes, and they met in the homes of those that were wealthier, had larger homes, because they wanted to fit more people into those homes. And what we're also missing in our modern-day application of this passage is the ancient church actually had two meals. They had a meal that was called the agape feast or the love feast, And it was patterned after the upper room with Jesus. And so they would have this meal together, and then they would celebrate communion, much like Jesus did in the upper room with his disciples. Remember how that went? That was a typical Passover meal. So they ate lamb, they they ate bread, they drank wine in a certain sequence. And then during part of that, Jesus introduced the idea of his body and blood as an additional piece, as it were, of that Passover meal that they celebrated. So, uh, again, what I'm trying to, again, help you understand here is that the ancient church at this time was celebrating that that, that, group meal, that community meal, what we call it today is a potluck, all right? So it was the first potluck in 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 the scriptures here that we're reading about tonight. And then they would have the second piece of the celebration, which was communion together. And so again, they were exercising both of those. What could cause that much friction over a potluck meal? Well, it's likely that the wealthiest people came to the home earliest because they were freer. They had obviously resources and maybe didn't have to work as late. You have some poorer people that are coming later. And the wealthy people, when they arrive are coming into spots in the house that are the choice spots. In modern-day vernacular, maybe they took the formal dining room. And then the poorer people showed up. They had less resources, and they were relegated, as it were, to the lesser rooms. Maybe they were kind of back out on the patio, as it were. And so the way that they were congregating for the agape meal, the love feast, was in a way that was showing favoritism. And they, and, and they were dividing themselves over haves and have-nots. Paul even goes as far as to say that there are individuals that are coming there. He says one goes hungry, another gets drunk. So what's he, what's he saying there? What's he, what's he telling us about that? He's saying that when they were having the meal together, that, that, you know, again, the wealthier people are over here and they've got the good food and they've even got wine and it's been flowing for a couple of hours. When the other people show up, they're a little bit tipsy while the other individuals got nothing. 
And so Paul's saying, hey, this is not right. I cannot commend you for this. There is so much that's got to change. Now, again, I think that we may have a little difficulty in applying this completely, at least according to the angle that Paul gives here, because we don't even celebrate the agape meal, right? I mean, I, and I don't think that we're commanded necessarily to do that, commanded to celebrate communion. But again, their practice was just trying to mirror as closely as they could to what Jesus had done with his disciples. And we've separated those two out. Maybe there's some words here for when we have potlucks together. Maybe, hey, you know, be careful. Don't fill your plate all the way up. Let some other people have opportunity here. So, you know, be, again, be aware. Maybe that's one of the applications that's immediate. But here's what I want you to hear today. I think that there is plenty to apply from this passage because Paul uses this opportunity and says, I want to give a framework for what communion is. And in the middle of this section, as soon as he explains some of the excesses that they're doing, he says, this is a theological treatise, as it were, on why we do communion and what communion is. And then at the end of the passage is some ways to practice that that would bring honor to the church, bring honor to the body, and bring honor to God. So as we get ready to dive into this, I would like to talk today about what we should focus on when we take communion. And this week when I was reading about this, I ran across uh, somebody named Michael Green. I, I had known about Michael Green before this week, but he's a Christian author. He's an Anglican priest. He's actually dead and with the Lord now a couple of years ago. But he wrote something that I thought was fantastic about six things that we should look at as we receive communion. And, you know, honestly, I thought he was so cogent. I thought he was so relevant. I thought he was so spot on that I'm like, you know what? Why reinvent the wheel here? I like what he's saying. I want to remember that. And I know you probably would too. So I'm going to use the six things that he lays out in an article that he wrote years ago, six things that we should look at as we uh, enter into communion that come directly from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That's why I'm going to be using the bookmark today. If you have that in front of you, those six things to look at are on that bookmark. And I'm hoping that you will apply this as I explain it to you tonight. And I'm hoping you'll keep this bookmark maybe in your Bible or maybe nearby. And when you're taking communion, you're saying, you know, hey, I'm receiving communion again tonight or today. You know, what are some things I need to be thinking about? And if you're not necessarily coached for that, well, these are some things that you can just reflexively say, some things that should be on my mind. All right, so let me make my way through the th six things that we should focus on or look at as we receive communion, and we'll do that again tonight. He argues that we should begin this by looking up, and by that he means by honoring God. He says communion begins by honoring God because it's remembering the grace and the mercy that God has extended through, uh, to us through His Son. We start by honoring God because this is not just a church ritual. It's not just something that we do as a little pattern for ourselves, but it's something that is we're doing to honor God. He's our first audience in this. There's been a big debate over the years about where Jesus is in his presence within communion, and there's been a lot of debate about that. Some of you are into church history, know a little bit about that. If you have been Catholic over the centuries, you believe that the elements literally change into the body and blood of Christ. There are others that say, no, not that far, but Christ indwells the presence of his body when they receive communion. And then others still say, this is more symbolic. Jesus is saying, this is symbolic again of my 
uh, time with my disciples, and it's something you're doing in remembrance of me. We probably fall more on that third category tonight. I wouldn't die over that, but we probably do. But here's what I want you to hear. The question uh, that we may need to wrestle with is not where is, where is the Lord in the presence of communion. It might better be in our digital age, where are we in the presence of uh, communion? Because it's so easy to be distracted. It's so easy to be checked out. It's so easy to go, just kind of go through some motions. And Michael Green argues, and I want to help you tonight in saying, hey, tune in. We're doing something that starts by us looking up. God is the one that we are meeting with. God is the one that is in his presence with us. He's central. And so again, we start always by looking up. Second, we look back to Christ's death. We're looking back because Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And whenever we're remembering Jesus, we're remembering his life, his death, his resurrection. We're remembering his body and his blood. His body because he lived a sinless life for us. His blood because it was spilled on our behalf. And no longer are there any further sacrifices needed. We don't go kill animals anymore to atone for sin because Jesus was perfect at that. And so we're always looking back and we're remembering what Jesus has accomplished for us. Every time we receive communion, we are saying or we're rehearsing the spot where Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. In fact, say that with me. Do this in remembrance of me. And we're always looking back and we're remembering the words of Jesus, the commands of Jesus, the love of Jesus. And we come to the table with a sense of gratitude because we'll never wear out in remembering Jesus. We'll never wear out in remembering the cross. All right, third, we look forward. Paul ties this not only to the death and resurrection of Jesus, but he also ties it to the return of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. And in just a minute, we are going to go to the bread and the wine, and at that moment, we're going to be remembering that Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus comes back, justice is, is, is established we love that. When he comes back, he's separating the sheep from the goats. When he comes back, he's taking his church to be with him forever. These are huge promises for us. And that every time we receive communion, we are, we are rehearsing that in our hearts again and again. My Savior is coming back to get me. I love that. There were couples that in World War II had to have a very quick wedding and they had to have a quick wedding because, well, after Pearl Harbor is bombed, there are many couples that uh, were, were going to get married, but then the husband was drafted. And, you know, off he went. So they uh, typically had waited. Some, got, some just went out and just got married right away, but some waited, and they were saying, you know, when this, this person comes back, when my husband comes back, or my future-to-be husband comes back, I want to be ready in order to marry him. Well, there was a woman that represents many during her era, and the woman who had her bow, because that's the word that they would use for a boyfriend back in the, back in the day, and he shipped off with the Navy post uh, Pearl Harbor, and they weren't gonna, going, going to be able to get married until he came home on leave. She and her mother planned the wedding all the way down to the last detail. They even printed the wedding invitations but they left off the date because they didn't know when the wedding would be. Finally, after 18 long months, a telegram came that said, you should get that white dress you've been wanting. The groom was on his way home, and the mother and the bride 
wrote the dates in and sent out all the invitations in preparation for their wedding. Like Pearl Harbor brides, we know our bridegroom is on his way back. We just don't know when he's going to appear. And every time we come to communion, we're saying, it's not yet, we know that, but it's on the way. And much like that bride is waiting for that husband that she wants to marry, she doesn't know when he's going to arrive, we are also waiting for our Savior. And when he comes, freedom abounds. When he comes, uh, we're looking forward to what he's going to deliver to us because he's going to vanquish our enemies and he's going to take away all of those enemies that deceive us and want to put us in chains. We will be free indeed. Fourth, we look in. And uh, by look in, I mean by, by this, that we have some level of self-examination. And where do I get that from? That comes from verse 27. If you put that up for me, it says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person, there it is, examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Whenever we come to the Lord's table, we always have a level of reflection. And we are asking God, God, would you expose anything in my life that is out of whack, anything in my life that is is dishonoring you, anything in my life that needs to be addressed. And we confess our sins and we freely receive the pardon and the forgiveness that God is offering through His Son, Jesus. And beyond forgiveness, we're even receiving that level of transformation, that change so that we're not in the same pattern of repeating the same thing again and again and again. There's a story that Tony Campolo told years ago. And the story that he told was about when he was uh, a little boy and he was in church receiving communion, maybe among, among one of the first times that he was there. He said he was about six years old. And he says, as I was sitting in the service, I became aware of a young woman in the pew in front of us who was sobbing and shaking. The minister had just finished reading the passage of Scripture written by Paul that says, whoever shall eat or drink of the blood of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And as the communion plate with its small pieces of bread was passed to the crying woman before me, she waved it off, and then she lowered her head in despair. It was then that my Sicilian father leaned over her shoulder, and in broken English he said, Take it, girl. It was meant for you. Do you hear me? She raised her head and nodded, and then she took the bread and ate it. I knew that at that very moment, some kind of a heavy burden was lifted from her heart and her mind. Since then, I've always known that a church that could offer communion to hurting people was a special gift from God. Here's what I want you to hear tonight. I want you to hear that we are not perfect people. Perfect people, sinless people, those are not the people that come to communion. The people that come to communion are honest people. (laughs) They're the people that know that they have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and they know where the help is. And that's what we do when we come with a level of self-examination. Examination helps us make sure that we're not taking the elements in an unworthy way. What's taken in an unworthy way? It's flippant. It's like, you know, hey, whatever. It's not really some level of asking the Lord, I want to be clean before you. This is a holy moment. And so I want to make sure that what I'm doing is of honor to you. And when we do that flippantly, that's when we are in danger 
of actually taking the body and the blood in an unworthy way. And boy, I don't know if you caught it or not, but it's kind of like, it's serious. In Corinth, there are some people getting sick and dying over this. And so again, this is not something, again, that you trifle with. You take seriously that there's a level of examination each and every time that we take communion together. And we have a Heavenly Father. He's good dad. And the good dad wants to hear from us. And he wants to hear us say, Dad, I've messed up here. And and I need your help. And I know you can cleanse me. And I know you're going to forgive me. And I thank you for that. And so again, that's the heart and the posture in which we come to communion. Fifth, we look around We look around, and by around I mean we look at those that are also participating in communion with us because this is a decidedly family affair. We are doing this as something that we're doing together. When one hurts, all of us hurts. When one is is got good news, all of us have good news. And Paul says, so then, my brothers, when you come come together to eat, wait for one another. So we're waiting for one another. We're doing this, as it were, in unison because that's what God has intended for us to do as we exercise this together. I've had many, many communion experiences in my life, but one of my favorites was just about 10 years ago in Malawi. I was actually there with Rich and Marla Hughesby. And I've got a picture here of us uh, receiving communion. It was at an African church. It was a little church that was out way in this this, this bush area that had red roads. I still remember that. This red roads that were all the way out to this church. And it, that, that, that may look very, very bright to you as we, you can see that we're pouring the elements and then each person was going to come up and we were going to give those to each person that came. Well, it's bright because it's Kool-Aid. And that night or that afternoon where we were receiving communion together, we uh, received it and we had this service and, and we actually had Kool-Aid. And I, I love that picture. I love that memory. I've had communion all over the world, but that's one of my favorites. And it's one of my favorites because God constantly reminds me, those are my brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I'm with those people. And, and we all are knitted together as God is saying, I'm bringing people from every t- tribe, every tongue, every language together. They're mine. And we're all going to make this, this beautiful symphony before the Lord of all of, our, all of our similarities, but all of our differences. And the fact that we have a Savior that can bring us all together. And so again, communion, when it's rightly exercised, is realizing, again, that we are all in this together. It's not about me, it's about we. Now again, the Corinthians had a little problem here. And their problem was that, again, they were showing favoritism. And as a result of that favoritism they were uh, dishonoring God. And so again, they had to confess some of that sin. They had to acknowledge that and purge that from them. And there's times at which you will come to service and God will nudge you and he will say, there's something I need for you to resolve before you come to the table. Jesus said it this way, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother, then come back and offer your gift. And there are times at which we can confess and, and receive the elements right away. There are other times at which, oh man, I think I'm really sideways with my wife. God would prefer that I actually go and repent and restore with my wife before I come and take the elements. And that's okay to be able to do that because the repair of relationships is a very important kingdom thing. We look around, we're paying attention to all of us because communion is about us, not me. Sixth, we look outward. By this, I mean that we proclaim those 
uh, we proclaim Christ to those who do not yet know him as Savior. And we don't often think about that. But the way that we receive communion together, the way that we do this in unison, is a declaration to friends and family that maybe are visiting at times. And it's saying something about our position before the Lord. When we're coming and doing this together, we're saying, He's my Lord, He's my Savior, He's my leader, and I'm in obedience to Him. And that's a powerful statement to those around us about our loyalty to the Lord Jesus. I saw a film uh, a number of years ago, now about five years, because I saw it the first year that it came out in 2016. The movie came out called Silence. And it was a movie that was a little bit graphic, a little bit hard to watch because it was about persecution in Japan in the 17th century. There were Portuguese Jesuit missionaries that went to visit individuals in Japan, a very small minority that kind of lived in a mountainous region who had come to know Christ. And the story is about them ministering to these people who are suffering such, such great abuse and, and su- such great tribulation because of their faith. And there's one piece of this movie that I, and I almost nearly cry over. And it's the story, it's the, this is the episode or the scene when these priests show up and the people have not received communion in years. Now again, in their framework, Catholic, Only a Catholic priest could deliver the elements. And so again, they had to wait for that. But they had not received communion together in a number of years. And the tears that filled their eyes, the the joy that was on their faces as they received the elements because it had been so long. Imagine if you had not received the elements for, for a long, long time. To come together and do that together as the body of Christ is a powerful thing. Again, maybe even some of us that are just kind of coming back following COVID. It's a very different experience to do this here with all of us rather than just at home in front of, obviously, the TV and on your couch. And so, again, there's something that is proclaiming the uh, lordship of Christ to those that are outside the church every time we come together and we're taking the elements. All right. Let's see if we can make a little summary here. I wonder what the Holy Spirit is saying to you tonight. I wonder what the Holy Spirit is saying. Maybe, here's a few things. Is the Spirit impressing upon you that this is serious business? That we're looking up and we're acknowledging God first and foremost tonight. Is the Spirit maybe calling you to look back? And you're looking back, remembering that Jesus has paid a price. It's a price that you don't have to pay anymore. And so there's a level of gratitude in your heart. There's joy in your heart over that. Maybe you're looking forward and you're remembering a time when Jesus is going to come. And all the problems that you face right now, oh, they're worldly problems. Jesus delivers from those, and we're just free from those. Maybe the Spirit's causing you to say, look in, confess some sin that the Spirit's bringing to your attention, receive forgiveness and grace. Maybe that's where you need to live. Maybe the Spirit's saying, look around, because there's hurting people right here, and your care for them is very critical. We are in this together as the body of Christ Or maybe he's saying, look outward, because this is a kingdom in which he's constantly inviting new people. Always, 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 new people. And your declaration, perhaps, is what others need in order to find the Lord. Before we go to the table, and uh, you can get your elements ready right now. Before we go to the table, I want to do something that uh, I think the passage begs for. You know, it's, um, (laughs) it's, it's, it's wrongheaded to go to the table unless you know Jesus. Uh, It's meaningless to go to the table 
unless you know Jesus. And Jesus is this one who, who lived a perfect life, who came and lived, died, rose, and now is praying at the right hand of God even today for us right now. And he comes to live literally within us through the power of his Holy Spirit. But he wishes for us to find him first. And find, by finding him, I mean that we recognize that he has offered himself as a sacrifice for us. When we say that we are trusting in Christ, what we're saying is he is our, our, now our leader. He's our Lord. And he calls the shots. And there's some things on the inside of us that perhaps have to die. There's some things that Jesus will take care of as we begin to follow him. He'll address things in our lives in order to give us newness, to give us a new life that we never even could know was possible through the power of his, his spirit and through the power of his words. And so tonight, perhaps whether you're watching online or you're here, maybe there's not a time in which you would decidedly say, I've, I've trusted Christ as my Savior. Well, tonight maybe is that night before we go to the table. If you would just bow your heads, and if that's you tonight, would you just pray with me? Lord, here I am, and I wish to trust Jesus. I wish to take and exchange my life, which I've messed up in many ways, for Jesus' perfect life, and he will come in. I ask him to come in. I ask him to make new all things that are broken. I trust Jesus and his forgiveness tonight and I want newness of life that's found in him I'm grateful for him and I welcome him tonight we pray this in Christ's name amen if that's you and you've done that tonight I encourage you to tell somebody tell a friend tell a family member tell somebody that will care and talk that through why because I think you'll be attacked the evil one doesn't want you to follow Jesus and so you want all the prayer and all the relational and love support that you can around you. And uh, I would love to know even because we'd love to support you as a church. Well, here we are. The bookmark is in front of you, so you have those six things to be able to look at. Perhaps the Holy Spirit's been talking to you right now. And so there's some, some nudges that the Spirit's been giving you. I hope you'll take advantage of that right now and that you'll open your hearts to Jesus and all He wants to say. We'll go ahead and pull off the portion that has the bread in it. Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples. And he said, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Open the portion that has the juice. Jesus said that this was the blood of a brand new covenant. This new covenant would mean that we would have never-ending forgiveness of sin. He said, drink this in remembrance of me. Lord, thank you for teaching your church what you want her to know, what you want her to practice. And tonight was very practical as we came to your word in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We pray that we would live on with this and we would have other times remembering the things that you taught us tonight about receiving communion in a good way, in a holy way. We love you. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.